who has come to God's word, come with those words of that song echoing in our ears and asking that we would receive that healing, that joy, that peace, that fire that falls. Let's hear God's word from the book of Philippians. First of all, I'm going to read before we move on to Genesis and reading from Philippians chapter 2, very well-known words from Paul's letter. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, slave, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. And then we're going to turn to Genesis. But before we do that, just a word of introduction. We're working through the book of Genesis, and we are at the story of Joseph. We began it last week. Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, um, as Lloyd Webber will have it. And we got as far as Joseph, who is the grandson of Abraham, the great-grandson of Abraham, who inherited this promise of God that had been given to this particular family that God was calling. And the promise was that God was going to bless them, he was going to make them a great nation, and he was going to use this family for a purpose. And that purpose was to bring a blessing, not just to their nation, but to every nation in the world. And we began the story last week in chapter 37 by noting this family was incredibly dysfunctional. A father who played favorites, Joseph, who had this dream of what God intended for his life, but decided to use it to rub his brother's nose in it. And then the brothers, full of jealousy and hatred and violence, throwing him down a well and then selling him off to the Ishmaelites to be taken as a slave into Egypt. Doesn't look very promising, does it? So let's pick up the story, though, in Genesis chapter 39, and I'm going to be reading from the first verse of that chapter. 
Oh, we have got the words on the screen. Thank you, Colin. I, I think, can I ask folk today to, to, to thank, I mean, what that guy's doing for us is, 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 is amazing. And it's easy for folk to forget that and say, oh, it's not working properly this morning. But the amount of work that goes into that is, is fantastic. So we're grateful to, that, to Colin for that. Let's read God's word from chapter 39. Just the first part just now. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the whole household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And the blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Amen. I'm going to stop there and we'll come back to the rest of the story later. This passage starts off in a desperate situation. Joseph has been carried off from the promised land, from the promised land, and he's become a slave. Now, we mustn't lose sight of that in all that's about to follow. His condition is awful. Slavery is ghastly. All his choices are taken away. Not only has he given up his father, his home, where he was pampered and looked after and given an amazing coat. Not only has he left his family and his brothers and everything he knew behind, but he's found himself in the position of a slave. That is, he is completely and utterly vulnerable. Sometimes people use slavery as a metaphor and they say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm treated badly. I'm treated like a slave in my workplace. It is nothing compared to being a real literal slave, whether that's in modern slavery or in ancient slavery, because you have no control whatsoever. Everything that you do, everything that you are, is completely in the hands of another person. And it may well be that that person will treat you well, or it may well be that that person will treat you awfully, but in any case, you don't have any control at all. He's completely living on the whim of his master, or as we shall see, his mistress's pleasure. With all that that, all that that means. Now, a lot of folks say about the Bible doesn't condemn slavery, and you'll hear a lot of things said there, but let me just be very clear about this. The Bible portrays a very, very negative image of slavery. In fact, the second book of the Bible, book of Exodus, is all about slavery. It's all about how God's people all found themselves slaved, Joseph is a slave at this point, but the whole people of Israel will find themselves in slavery in Egypt to Pharaoh. 
And it's about how God looked at that and saw their distress and set in motion things that would do something about it. God heard the cry of the oppressed people. And it's interesting that the book of Exodus has been used down through Christian history as a liberation theology, a way of starting to say, we believe in the God who sets slaves free. And that's why the church is committed to campaigns against modern slavery today. It's why Martin Luther King lifted up those words to talk about the oppression of African-American people in, in the civil rights movement time and time again. Back to the book of Exodus. We believe in the God who sets people free, who liberates people who are oppressed. But here is Joseph in this awful situation. He did this dream. This dream that God had a plan for his life. And he finds himself here. And that dream connected to the purpose that he had been given. This purpose that he and his family would be blessed. And they would be a blessing to all the nations. But he finds himself here. But here's what the Bible says. The Lord, verse 2, was with Joseph so that he prospered. Now, this is worth thinking about a bit. What does that mean? God was with him in a horrible situation. We find that not unproblematic, the idea that when we're going through tough times, God's there and we can talk to God and that's fine. It helps us. It gives us a comfort. But it says he prospered. In one sense, we might look at this and say, well, how did he prosper? Whatever happens next, he's still a slave. He's still in a place where terrible things can happen. In fact, even when things start to go well, we'll find that they quickly go bad again, don't they? Find that out in in the last part of the chapter. What does it mean that he prospered? Well, look what happens here. He works hard and diligently. He's good at what he does. It's recognized. And as he works, God begins to bless through him the whole household of Potiphar, the Egyptian. The house and the field. There's something about that blessing that God has promised to bring through the people that's happening right away. In the little things, with one believing man finding himself in an absolutely dreadful situation, yet the blessing of God starts to fall. And I want to look very briefly at what that means for Joseph, what that means for Potiphar and the household, the place he finds himself, what it means for his witness, and what does it mean for us? Well, the first thing to note here is what Joseph's response is to this dreadful situation. And we don't actually know because we don't know what Joseph says. The Bible doesn't tell us this is what he was saying or this is what he was praying or, or this is how he felt. It just tells us what he did. And, but what it seems to imply is that he hasn't become bitter and resentful and angry and despairing. Because when people become bitter and envy and angry and despairing, then they don't do anything, do they? It's very interesting that that in our our world today, some of the people who are the most angry are the people who do nothing but tell you they're angry. 
They are not the people who begin to change things. God is with him, and that begins to show in what Joseph does. He begins to work in a very difficult way. Does that mean the situation he's in is good? No, it doesn't. It's still an awful situation. He's still a slave. But the way that Joseph goes about his life in that awful situation is completely transformational. You know, it's, it's very interesting when you begin to read the New Testament particularly, you find lots of people in ghastly situations. A church that's being persecuted. A completely unjust political system that is out to get them. Some of them are among the poorest economically. But as they begin to pray, as they begin to record the prayer life of Paul for these young persecuted churches, he's not praying, oh Lord, they're in an awful situation, please take them out of, a big, of that awful situation. Give them a big pay rise, change the government, and, and put them in a happy place. He's not praying that prayer. What we find time and time again rather in Paul's prayers for that church, is this. Lord, change them. Lord, make them shine like Jesus. Lord, give them hope and courage that they might endure in the situation they are in. Because you see, when God gives you that by his Holy Spirit, when he gives you a fresh heart and a fresh way of looking at things and a fresh ability to endure and conquer, then it doesn't matter what they do. You're his. At that point, the Roman Empire has no power over you. The slave master has no power over you. The potiphers of this world have no power over you because you are God's. And you are shaped not by the way that they make you bitter and resentful and hateful and angry, but you are shaped by him the one who hears your cries. Paul, for instance, writes this to the Philippians, and we read these words. This is my prayer. Sorry, this isn't what words we read. This is in the chapter before. Your love may abound more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, in churches, one of the things I, I get to do as a minister is sit with people who are suffering and going through hard times. And many of you will have done this. And you see the difference between people who are touched by the Spirit of God. And so they go through sometimes the most awful circumstances and they turn out like diamonds, don't they? If I look at some of the people that I have most seen Jesus in, they are people who have suffered horrifically. They've been through the most tough times, illnesses, bereavements, and everything else. And yet you can see people who have been through far less, and they've ended up bitter and twisted and angry, can't you? And the difference isn't the circumstances. The difference is what God has been able to do in their lives, what they have allowed God to do in their lives through them. Joseph is caught up in all of this. So the first thing we've seen is Joseph is transformed by the fact that God is with him. And this prosperity isn't that God makes everything well. He's still a vulnerable slave. But the prosperity is in his heart prospering before the Lord. 
The second thing we notice here is that when Joseph does this, it begins to change the situation around him. You know, at one point, he had this dream of what God's plan for his life was. And how did he interpret that dream? Well, everybody will bow down to me. I'll be the boss. They'll be the servants. That'll be how it is. That's fantastic. But here he is in a different situation. And the blessing that God has promised to work through him and his family is working out. But it's working out as he serves as a slave. Without resentment and without bitterness, he begins to see it's prospering the household of Potiphar. It's making things better for the other slaves. It's making things better in the fields. They've got more to eat. The crops are growing because God's given him gifts that he is willing to use. And through those, there is a blessing that moves out, that begins to make a difference as things are well governed. You see, this plan of God's to bless all the nations, and in one sense, this plan of God to bless all the nations is the plan that's going to work down through the generations, and we've said this already, it's going to come in Jesus Christ, who is going to be one of the children of Abraham, but is going to be the promise of this blessing to the nations, it's going to be how God transforms the world, how he heals what was broken at the fall, that the whole of the world will come to know his name and be healed in creation itself, healed in his resurrection and coming again. Yeah, that's all true. That's the blessing. But there is also a sense that the blessing is much more immediate. It is in God working through you where you are right now, in what you do, in the work that you have, in the gifts that you use. It's not just a bunch of Christians saying, well, we know that Jesus is going to save everybody at the end of the world, and that's fantastic, that's the blessing. It's actually as we raise children as we do our parenting and our grandparenting, our caring, our working, our making money, our creating employment, our using of our gifts and our service in every part of our life, that the world is transformed. Paul writes to the Colossians, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that God you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. It's Christ you're serving. I think this is one of the things that was a game changer for me when I began to think about the church because sometimes when we think about Christian service, we think about doing stuff in church, whether that's serving on a Sunday, being an elder, or on the sound desk, or taking up the offering, or whether it's being involved with the guild or the boys' brigade or, 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 or the litter pickup or whatever we do as a church. But when we start to see that actually our Christian service is every part of our lives, it's wherever we find ourselves, as you run your business, as you work in the caring sector, as you are a parent, as you are a neighbor, as you're involved in, in, in the, the trefoil guild or whatever it is that you're doing, that you begin to bring a blessing to others as you use the skills and things that God has given you and you do it in the Lord's name and it begins to transform things. I, 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 this before about, for instance, teachers. I, I remember watching something that made me really think where somebody who was teaching in a Sunday school said, how come it is that the church prays for the influence I will have one hour on a Sunday with children? And they pray for me regularly. And they don't pray for the 30 hours a week, 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week I work as a teacher where I have far more influence on children. 
Not just because I can talk about God, maybe I can, maybe I can, but actually because God made mathematics that I teach. I work in a shop, but God made produce and bread and all the things that we need. I work in a bakery. God made all of these things and meant that people would have these good things. And so I'm part of God's good creation as I do those things as well. And by the way, this also transforms our work when we begin to see it as done for the Lord. You know, in in, in Genesis, it says right at the beginning, when God made the world, he made it, as it were, incomplete. He said to human beings, go and go and, uh, and, and, and plant and prosper and, and make this creation bloom. Use your creativity, use your gifts, produce food. And then it says in Genesis 3 that actually work that God had given them as a blessing became, as it were, toil, difficult. What is it to begin to see our work, whatever our work is, as done for the Lord? So that it isn't toil anymore. It's actually redeemed because we are in Christ. So we see how the blessing changes Joseph's attitude and how it begins to impact on those around him. And lastly, or thirdly here, it also is a witness. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, think about that. God is making Joseph a good citizen, a good worker. A person who brings blessing to those around him. Good attitude. Begins to make people feel happier and and more content about themselves. And Potiphar recognizes this. But he comes to know something else. He comes to know that the Lord is with him. But that's very specific. He's coming to know the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now, Potiphar can't have known that because, well, Something special about him, God must be with him. Because there's loads of gods in Egypt. There's Ra and there's, there, there, there's uh, Amun and there's a whole load of gods. But we are told in the Bible that he came to know that the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham was with, with, was with Joseph. How did he know that? And it must have been because Joseph working hard, Joseph, Joseph serving, God, Joseph having a caring demeanor even for the folk that, that he could have resented was so much so that Potiphar must have sat and said to him, what's this about? And he said, let me tell you this story about my great-grandfather Abraham. Let me tell you this story about how there's one Lord who made the whole world. Let me tell you this story about the promise that's given to my people. So that he began to know that there was one God and that God was at work in Joseph's life. Sometimes we think we need to do out there and, uh, and tell people about God. But the point here is Joseph actually earned the right to preach. Because he'd been the sort of person, had the sort of relationships where even the master of this huge household sat down and said, I, I, I want to know your story. What is it about you? That's what we need to do today in, in our outreach is be such good citizens, be such good family members, be such good husbands or wives if our spouse doesn't believe. Be so committed so full of Christ as we do that, that they begin to ask questions and we earn the right in our different living to speak with integrity about our motivation. You know, the problem sometimes is that Christians are out there being bitter, angry, resentful, telling everyone what they should do, and then think they have a right to tell people what the truth is. Well, I hope nobody listens because if they actually see that they're talking about Jesus when they're behaving like that, 
is a completely negative witness. The last thing on this is that there's something about Jesus in all of this. The passage that we read from Philippians says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault or in this warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and I will be able to boast of you. The interesting thing about that passage is it, is it, it, is it talks about shining in all that's wrong, being different, is it does it in a context because the passage before talked about Jesus being a slave. Jesus with humility giving himself for us. And of course, that brings to those images from the Gospels of Jesus washing people's feet. It is about following the example of Jesus. And Joseph, in a sense, saw a bit of that in the first part where he had this dream that everything would bow down, everything would acknowledge. And now he begins to see it in a different way. It's actually where I bow down, where I serve, where I make myself useful, being a channel of blessing to those around me, even when my circumstances are bad, where I don't spend the whole time saying, I don't deserve this, I should be the one on the top of the heap. Rather, I say, here I am, and I'm going to serve and love and trust in the position that I find myself. I'm very much struck just now, I've been reading with a group of ministers through the Gospels, and one of the things that it's reminded me of is that sometimes we focus on the last part of the Gospel, which is really, really important that Jesus died and he rose again. But sometimes churches forget the first part of the Gospel, which shows us how Jesus interacted with people, how he loved people, how he served people, how he fed people just who he was. And the call for those who believe that he died and rose again and believe that he died and rose again for us and believe that we are born again in him is to imitate how we see Jesus living in the first part of the gospel. It's to become more and more like Jesus. And yet that means with him in his suffering. So we're not always saying, I need to be in the top of the heap. We're remembering that he suffered, as Joseph will suffer in this story, grave injustice. But it means that God is at work in us, changing us into the nature of Jesus, that we might be that blessing in all the places that we find ourselves. So this morning, I, I, I would want to say to you, as you come to church, that I want to affirm what you do nine to five, or in some cases, nine till nine or nine till two in the morning. I want to affirm you in your families. I want to affirm you in your neighborhoods and your streets and in the social things that you will do. Those are part of where God has put you to be that blessing. Your circumstances may be comfortable ones 
or they may be very uncomfortable ones, as it was for Joseph. But wherever you are, you are called to be a blessing. Doesn't mean the circumstances are good. This whole story is going to be a story about how God brought his people out of the slavery that they found themselves in. You see that in the book of Exodus. But nevertheless, where we are just now, we serve and we love and we bring blessing. I was going to go on with the rest of the story of Potiphar's wife, but I'm actually going to stop there. Um, and we'll look at the what happened next story another time. The Lord be with you. Prosper what you do. Let you be a blessing to those around you that they may see what you do. They may see your good works and they may know that the Lord, your God, is with you, that he is your deliverer and your savior. Just as we find in the gospel message of Jesus Christ who came to die for us and rise again that we would have a hope and we would know this promise of blessing, but also show us how to live where we are just now. Amen. We're going to sing just now a song which invites us to dedicate ourselves to him. Uh, and that is, um, oops, this is where I've lost my notes. We're going to sing, I will offer up my life. And I think we're going to sing, you, our singers are going to sing this through once and then we're going to stand as